0: Hello, I'm Sarah Connolly, and today I'm talking to Emily Chappell. Uh, Emily has got this amazing cycling life. It's something slightly different to what I normally do, but I think you'll really love it. She's just published a book about her life in and She is cycling around the world in increments. She's doing ultra endurance racing. Um, Emily, hello. Hello. Is that a fair introduction, do you think?
1: I think it makes me sound a little bit more hardcore than I actually am, because what, what you miss out there is the days and weeks I spend sitting at a laptop.
0: Yeah, but that's not so romantic. I mean, when I first heard about your book, what goes around a London cycle courier story, I said, Oh, my God, cycle couriering. That's like 1980s New York. That's like William Gibson novels. It's very, very romantic. And you talk about that a lot in the book. But is it kind of a weird thing now you've moved from that to a writer? which is just as romantic in a different way.
1: Yeah, well, it is. It's it's funny because they they were both jobs that for me had this huge kind of mythology attached to them, which for a long time stood in my way of actually going for it. So I I wanted to be a courier as soon as I found out what they were, but took years before I thought I'd actually be capable of it. And I always wanted to be a writer since I was a kid. So this is now pretty much a dream come true, which is, is lovely.
0: Let's start with your book. You were a cycle courier for how many years? Uh, six, six or seven, off and on. Do you talk in the book, and you, as you've just said about being kind of seduced by the romance of careering? But mm. what got you started there?
1: Um. Well, I was seduced by the romance, so that that went on for a while. And then I think it was, it's always a combination of many things, isn't it? What it really was, was finishing my master's degree, um, and it was in gender studies, so I was never going to get a very good job. (laughs) And there was a recession starting at the same time, so I did apply for a few jobs and uh, didn't get them, and this was the one that stuck.
0: (laughs) And didn't let you go, as you talk about in the book.
1: Yeah, it sucks you in. I'm always reluctant to say that it's like an addiction because I'm not sure whether that is um, appropriate, given that addiction is quite a, a serious health problem. But there's so many things it has in common because you just you get really, really into it. and It's great. And you feel like you're omnipotent and you're flying. And then you think, oh, well, I'll just... I might go and do something else for a bit. And then you realize you can't. (laughs) And if you stop careering, you feel really awful and low and grey and miserable and twitchy. So you have to keep doing it. And it's very, very hard to get out of. And then once you're hooked on it, you start to realize all the bad things as well. And there are loads of bad sides and they're really bad. So, you know, you, you sit there on a a cold January afternoon, soaked to the skin, shivering, hurting, you can't feel your hands, you're not going to pay the rent that month because you haven't made any money. And it's all terrible. And then a car hits you, but you can't get out because you're hooked.
0: <laughs> well, I'm quite interested because you seem to have got out by cycling around the world <laughs> in bits.
1: Yeah, I. it's quite strange how I got out of it because I, I didn't want to. I, I always thought at some point I'm going to get to the point where I need to and want to, but I never did. And it's just Life has sort of pulled me out of it. One of the things that made me really not want to stop careering was that people tend to slide downhill a bit afterwards um I mean they tend to go on to quite interesting things, but usually you know they they end up sitting behind a desk, they put on a bit of weight and they don't cycle so much. I always imagined that being a career would be like the height of my powers and my youth and beauty, <laughs> and when I stopped, I would go back to being this kind of slightly plump grad student who didn't really get enough exercise or fresh air. And I thought that would be quite a shame. But what happened instead was that I found other things to give me the same hit. So Mm -hmm. I think I'm basically even more addicted. So eventually, careering wasn't enough. I had to move on to the hard stuff. So I started with the cycling around the world stuff. And then bike touring is pretty hard, but it's not that hard. And so I had to find harder things to do. And that's when I got into the winter stuff. And then I realised that along the way I'd somehow got quite fit and took me quite a long time to realise that was the side effect of all this cycling. (laughs) And so now I'm going into into racing
0: that's that's such a mad such a brilliantly mad story and i kind of like wondering what you know where where the progression goes because you said you did the transcontinental race and ultra endurance racing and it's like yeah that's that's kind of starting at the hardcore end of racing as well you know i what happens next land speed records or
1: Uh, yeah where do i go from here this is a really (laughs) good question there's i mean i'm only just getting into ultra racing and there's i didn't finish the transcon i had a i had a mysterious chest issue so i i stopped on day eight so I'm going back to hopefully finish the job this year. But there's other races and I think there's quite a lot to keep me busy there. And then what might happen, I'm very tentatively dipping my toes into off-road at the moment. Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole new world of pain and challenge there. So I guess we'll see. But I think I'm, I'm never going to be a, a classic racer doing the mainstream stuff. I think partly because I'm, I'm a bit old really now. To ever be particularly good at that, and I don't know. Partly because I, I like the the obscure stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I can relate to that. My yes, definitely relate to that. Um, I, I was just thinking enduro, enduro mountain bike racing. That's hardcore and strange, and and people get into it a little bit later, and and it's and it's new and weird and incredibly hard. Yeah. In the Cape Epic, that's that's ridiculous. Um, the Crocodile right. Classic, the Crocodile Classic in in Australia.
1: Well, let's let's not walk before I can run. I, um, my current challenge is I don't know if you've heard of a race called the Strath Puffer. It's um, the toughest mountain bike race in the world, along with about nine or ten others that are also the toughest mountain bike. Races. But it's a 24 it's a hour race in um, northern Scotland in January, so in about. And apparently, it's 17 hours of darkness, and there's usually snow. And if you're very lucky, you get hail and sleet as well. Um, I'm racing as a pair with someone who expects us to win
0: oh I'm
1: basically new to mountain biking so this is either extremely hardcore and admirable or just really foolish <laughs> and dangerous
0: I mean have you always been like this you know because currying is a dangerous job and this is insane in a lovely way
1: I haven't no it's it's been a progression so I spent my entire 20s just sitting on my ass wishing I was this sort of person but never doing anything about it because I thought I wasn't and then couriering was what kind of um, made me realize I was capable of doing stuff like this but a lot of the things I've done so far I've really kind of over prepared for and fretted over like my first big bike trip I was so panicked when I was preparing because I thought I was, oh, I'm I'm not ready. I'm underprepared. It's all going to fall apart. And then when I started and I met people doing similar things, I realized I was way over prepared And that's happened with quite a few of the other things I do. And I tend not to do things until I'm ready for them or perhaps could even have done them two years ago. Mm-hmm. And now with stuff like this, like with the puffer, I am throwing myself in almost completely cold. So in a way that is quite new for me, but it's I'm just I'm becoming less and less cautious
0: <laughs> yeah I, know, I noticed that about your blog because I was reading a couple of your blog posts and you seem very self-critical like you say something and then you kind of almost oh but maybe maybe that was because of this or maybe this was because of that and I noticed there's a little bit in the book is that is that like a something that stopped you doing things in the past that kind of oh I, I this is my idea but but maybe there's something else
1: Ooh, well that's 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 a really interesting question I don't even know where to start with that um, I think and there's this sort of thought floating about in my head that maybe it's a woman thing, but i'm I'm always reluctant to say that but I think in academia and in cycling and whatever um which I have done quite a lot of always as a woman um because that seems to be how I do everything uh, <laughs> I've noticed that there's this sort of you can broadly generalise that the the men or the more male thinkers tend to say, it is like this, this is how it is. Whereas women tend to be, oh, so there are many different ways of looking at this, many perspectives. (laughs) And the the way, incidentally, that I finally got a really good mark in my first degree was figuring this out and writing my final exams as if I were a man. So no grey areas at all. But I think in my normal life, and it might just be an Emily thing rather than a, a woman thing, Yeah, there are so many different alternatives to everything and everything is so subjective. And um, I think because I've changed so much, I now I don't really trust myself completely with anything. And I always make sure that i very firmly believe whatever it is I'm doing at that moment. Mm. But knowing how different I was 10 years ago, I then think, well, in 10 years time, who knows what I will be thinking and doing?
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you were saying in the book that being a courier and being on the bike you liked it as opposed to academia because it was very instinctive that you just were kind of there in the moment without having that thought stuff. I mean, is that one of the things about the job You know, the, that changed you, do you think?
1: I think, yeah, you could say changed me or just kind of um, made me more comfortably the person I, I now am. Um, I mean, I feel like I've always been the same person, but I have, I have changed a lot. So that sort of paradox. Because I'd always been very, very just like brain thinking, academic, want to be a writer and all of that. And never really paid so much attention to the other side. And I had tried off and on things like meditation and it had never worked. I was always really shit at it and um, would just sit there failing to meditate and beating (laughs) myself up for being so bad at it. And that was something I found in cycling. I found that sort of ability to just kind of switch off and zone out and, and be at one and all of that. And so, yeah, I think it has been a a discovery. And even now, so my life is sort of balanced between, as I said, sitting at a laptop, writing stuff or, you know, tweeting other important things and um, being out on the bike. And they complement each other really well. And towards the end of my courier career, I think I was doing uh, like three days on, two days off or something. So I was about half and half careering and writing. And just balances you out wonderfully because one half of your life is completely not not brainless but it's a completely different part of your brain and it's your body and the other half is kind of narrow focus concentrate switching your mind on sort of thing mm. and now when I'm uh when I'm working here at my desk I very consciously know if, if it all starts to grind to a halt or I'm stuck on a paragraph or with an idea, I go out for a bike ride. And that's how I sort it out. And that is how it works. Excellent.
0: Excellent. It's It's, it's very... I was very interested in your book because it's not, I was a little bit worried to be honest when I started that it was just going to be, you know, kind of the courier stories in terms of, you know, and then, and then this bus nearly hit me. And then, then, you know, one time I picked something up from the princess of Wales or something, you know what I mean? Like that's a terrible, terrible example, but, it's really interesting because the book covers so much more. It's got that kind of psychogeography London love story going on. it's got a lot of stuff about your personal life in it and it's got a lot of nostalgia. I think I was I think I was struck by the bit towards the end where you're talking about being nostalgic for currying before you'd even stopped it and always being nostalgic for a golden age and then other people who you talk to being nostalgic for a different golden age and how did you decide to write like that? Did it just come or did it just come naturally?
1: Well, it came naturally. I think I when I sort of started writing the book and started thinking about how it would be and probably had even before I decided to write it, had been thinking about that for a while. There were so many different things and, and themes that I wanted to put in. And now now it's just about OK. But when I first finished the book and sort of signed it off and said, right, this is it. I just felt awful because I'd only managed to get about 10% of what I wanted to put in, in into the book. And, you know, there's so many whole characters and relationships that aren't even in there. And there's loads of, well, there's loads of stuff that got cut. I shouldn't really say that because everyone will start wondering what it was. Um, but there is there is just so much to the job. It's such a a diverse mixed bag. And there are so many different sort of registers to tap into you know there's 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 the social and there's the amazing camaraderie and the characters and there's all the London stuff and there's the the things you think about time and space and movement as you're as you're going around it all I think any one of those those themes I could have written a whole book on and I still think I think I'm pretty much done with it now but maybe one day I'll come back and write an 800 page novel (laughs)
0: a novel with a which goes back to those things
1: it could be good it could be good also with a novel i could put in all the all the gossip
0: yeah i was wanting to ask you about that because i think there was the bit where you were talking about for example knowing someone who may or may not have had a slightly shady business edge of their business um in bike sales and i was like oh that's interesting like i was wondering while i was reading it how much of it was anonymized or you know kind of sanitized i guess
1: um it's sort of uh maybe maybe half and half um there's some characters who who are sort of slightly made up or you know rearranged a bit Mm. for their anonymity and there's some who are there pretty much as they are but they're renamed and there's one or two I think everyone pretty much who's in it I've asked their permission to to put them in it Mm. um so hopefully there's not going to be any uh, lawsuits and it has been read by a lawyer as well so (laughs) lawsuits. That was that was quite funny because I think in, in an earlier draft there were a few things about delivering to celebrities and I think they were a bit concerned I might be outing where people lived.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's interesting. I'm always interested in, in, in what you have to leave out. I think um, I was reading one of Derek Jarman's diaries and he had to leave out stuff that he dreamt about. Like they had to look at his dreams because it might be, a, he might be saying, oh, you know, you might be implying that person's gay because of because could because you dreamed a sexy dream about him you know what I mean and it's wow. like wow that's I never it never occurs to me to think about those things I kind of think about is it okay to kind of talk about this guy you know this this part of the business or nearly getting killed by that person or whatever do you know what I mean but mm-hmm. you never think about those kind of odd things
1: yeah mm-hmm. well there is the one thing that I keep realizing throughout the book and writing it and experiencing it all is how very very connected everything is And I I feel like I have some sort of relationship with, I don't know what proportion, but a huge proportion of like the companies and the people and the buildings in in London. I've probably got some story about almost anything you could mention. I mean, Mm -hmm. one of my party pieces is, uh, you know, being introduced to friends of friends and saying, oh, you know, what do you do? Where do you work? Oh, yes, yes, on such and such a street. And, you know, your security guard's name is Benjamin.
0: (laughs) When you were planning the book, did you have the structure and the shape of it planned in advance or did it kind of uh, did that kind of happen more organically or more with editorial direct
1: there was editorial direction it's the first book I've written and I think to be honest I was not very good at writing a book uh well you know it's the first book I've written of course of course I did not know how to do it so the first draft was just this big pile of chapters that had no interrelation whatsoever and no order and so there's like here's a chapter about rain here's a chapter about camaraderie here's a chapter with a funny story and I just kind of handed that all to my editor and then buggered off to Alaska for three months (laughs) um, and then got back and had to turn it into something with a bit more of a, a plot and very predictably my editor said look we we need more of you in this we need to kind of mine your backstory a bit and you know give us some more about yourself which I'd been trying to avoid doing and so then I that's when all the sort of stuff about Ash came in um, Mm. and it became more about me and my journey and all the kind of detached stories I'd written got attached in various places to that
0: Oh, that's interesting. You'd been you been writing before. I mean, you've obviously been blogging for years, and you've written for various publications, haven't you? Did, did it feel a little bit hard when someone came back to you and said, "No, no, do it differently," or did it just feel fun, interesting?
1: I think the latter. I think I, I've always felt I could do I could do with more feedback, and it's quite hard to find someone who is qualified to give it and willing to give yeah. it. Yeah. And I was really looking forward to having a professional literary editor looking at my work and saying, well, you know, this this is good, but we can make it even better by doing this and this and this. And what about we try this? So I I enjoyed um, the editing process and really could have done more of it <laughs> with a few drafts or with her pushing me even harder.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that. That's an interesting thing too, because it's. I guess coming from an academic background as well, you're probably a little bit less um, uh, scared of criticism, I guess, than than a lot of people would be.
1: Possibly, yeah. I think also though, I've I've just realised this um, as as I spoke that with my writing and my cycling, both of them, I've cultivated largely on my own. I in fact last year when i finally you know had an official publishing deal and all of that and i started feeling like i was finally coming out as a writer and i was allowed to say hello i'm emily and i'm a writer and <laughs> and until then it had been in isolation and it's been the same with the cycling because until really the last year or so i haven't i haven't really thought of myself as a cyclist or publicly been a cyclist and I certainly haven't been cycling with other people or entering races or things like that. Um and now I'm starting to take myself seriously as an athlete and I you know I've had bits and pieces of coaching and things and I've been going for rides with other people and learning from them. And it seems like it's happening at the same time with the the cycling and the writing. It's it's becoming official and I'm starting to um more consciously develop my art and display my weakness and vulnerability to other people and then learn from them and become better and Mm -hmm. it's um yeah it's a bit harder with the cycling actually the writing I don't mind criticism so much the cycling I I I want it but I sometimes find it harder to take
0: yeah I was reading one of your blogs about um right going on a club run and kind of look about interaction well especially being a woman and having interactions with men and cycling world and stuff like that and you're i think that's one of the things one of the ones i've got in my head about the the kind of oh am i am i am i attributing the wrong motives to them and stuff Mm. and i think there is something definitely gendered about how people give criticism uh, about cycling to a woman Mm. as as a man because you know everyone's got someone who'll tell you um you know in, in any in any walk of life, that you're, you're doing it wrong anyway or, or just to make assumptions about you. And I think that's – so I guess it's quite hard to know also who to get criticism from in terms of how to improve your cycling because, you know, does this is this person next door to me also someone who's learnt themselves? Do you know what I mean? Like where, where are they basing it from if they're telling me that I'm – oh, I can't even think of an example, but, you know, pedalling wrong. Is yeah. it based in fact or is it based in, in just them having this unshakable self-belief?
1: Yeah. Well, I've had, I've had a bit of coaching from someone who is actually a coach and that's, um, I I trust her. I think she, she knows her stuff. She seems to be pretty good at cycling herself. Um, But a lot of it is, is not, not so much consciously being taught. It's just spending time on bikes with other people and picking stuff up Mm. and noticing that I've, I've got weird little habits. Like uh, I didn't realize that it's normal to go onto the, the drops when you're descending um, I just didn't know because I've always cycled on my own. There was mm. no one to pick that up from, and I spotted people doing it and thought, "Oh!" <laughs> and now I've realised that's what you do. <laughs> there was A few other little things like that as well.
0: Yeah. So, getting back to the book, uh, you you talk in the book about you know your, your your journey from learning it and and kind of starting not really knowing that much about it and you, you know assuming that everyone else is an expert. Can you say a little bit about how that felt? Oh, well, assuming
1: that I was I was the idiot newbie, and yeah. uh, everyone else knew what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. That that's a tendency that kind of stalks me through my life. I always think I'm the idiot newbie. Um, and oh, with couriering, I I was for a while. Certainly, I think everybody is at the beginning. But it took me much much longer to realise that it was fine. I was a courier now, and I was one of the gang, and people weren't going to kind of give me funny looks when I walked in because I wasn't supposed to be there or anything. And um, it was really heartening as well. One of the things I absolutely love, I'd loved about couriering and love about careers is that people are just so kind of friendly and welcoming and straightforward. And they really, they will take you however you come because I'm not your typical courier. There isn't a typical courier, but I am not what you would expect. And I'm certainly not you know they're mostly men and they're mostly in their 20s and all of that and we all come in so many different shapes and sizes and people will just take you as you are you don't have to conform to whatever type is expected to be and if you want to turn up in a pink frilly dress and uh, ride around on a pink low pro and (laughs) do it that way if as long as you're doing it and you're not completely embarrassingly shit then Mm. you will be accepted
0: yeah it sounds very I used to be an outdoor activity instructor back in back in my youth and it felt there was a lot in your book that felt very very relatable um that's one of the things I really enjoyed about reading it because I've never done bike couriering but a lot of the way you were describing your stories felt very relatable to other things that I had done Hmm. which made it I was fascinated by do you know what I mean because you're kind of you've hung it on couriering sorry I'm never gonna be able to say that word right couriering but but it could equally be, you know, I don't know, playing string quartets or doing Morris dancing or something. The just the way that you've the way that you've put it there. Mm. But the romance of a courier, you know, the, the vision of this, you know, tattooed and pierced, punk, counterculture, you know, hardcore warrior of the road is is something that's really fascinating, and I guess is gonna get a lot of people picking it up. I mean do you did you ever play up to that like that idea when you were when you were doing the job? Um, by my standards, I think I did,
1: but by no one else's standards, because I'm really, I don't know. In as a as a courier, I was so middle of the road most of the time, and occasionally I would do something like wear a denim cut off miniskirt over my cycling shorts and think oh, I am so hardcore, <laughs> but I, I wasn't. That was a totally normal thing to do. So I think I, I did have this. Um, I had this sort of pleasing idea in my head that oh, I am zooming around London and being all countercultural, but I, I was one of the one of the frumpiest couriers. I wasn't. Um, I wasn't <laughs> cool. I think a lot of people, a lot of civilians, and a lot of friends now think of me as quite cool because you just automatically are if you're a cycle courier. But if you get past that mystique and look at me dispassionately. Uh, I'm really not. I'm dressed in kind of ripped baggy shorts that have seen better days and a free cycling jersey I got through work. And I smell a bit funny. And my bag is six years old and falling apart. And <laughs> I don't really ride that fast.
0: Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you talked in the book about the smell and the dirt and the, and, and the kind of the the the, the, humans, the human side of being on your bike all day, which just made me laugh out loud a lot and you are talking Good. about being in lifts with models and things like that it was um it was just funny but was that was that weird is that a weird thing to go away from i guess uh
1: well i think you know in a way i've got worse <laughs> that was like the gateway and as i said now i'm on to the hard stuff so when i was cycle touring you don't get as filthy cuz i think london makes you especially revolting But when I was touring, I would often go for days without a shower. And, you know, you're on the bike all day and then you're sleeping. And so you build up a certain odour then. And, of course, endurance racing, you don't even stop to clean your teeth.
0: Mm.
1: So you smell particularly bad. (laughs) So I think actually it's just steadily getting worse.
0: (laughs) So basically, um, as you know, when you said what happens next, what happens next, you'll kind of be banished to an island by your friends for your own good. Very probably, yes. (laughs) <laughs> or just strategically bought um, shower
1: gel. Here you go. I just thought you might like this.
0: <laughs> or your Christmas presents are lush bath bombs or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and a bio suit.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, you talk in the book about being really interested in other Korea stories and, and career mythology and career history. But what made you, I, this is a really dumb question. And I apologise in advance for it. But what actually made you sit down and make, write the book about it?
1: Uh, Oh, very prosaically. um, A literary agent got in touch with me and said, I think you should write a book about this. And (laughs) said she could sell it to a publisher. And I put up some token resistance and then said, well, okay."
0: (laughs) And then it just happened.
1: Yeah, well, it it was it was far more long drawn out than that. Um, I had because I had a courier blog before I had uh, the, the one I currently have. I blogged about being a courier for a couple of years and that was sort of moderately popular. And quite often people would say, oh, you know, you should turn this into a book. And I would always say, no, no, I really shouldn't because um, it's such a diverse, beautiful industry and I could one person could never represent all that. So the only possible way to do it would be with an anthology with a lot of different people's voices. And I feel I would be letting the community down by profiting from their stories. Uh, well, that didn't last long. <laughs> Um, but I did, um, that was my, my view for a long time. And that was, that was the argument I, I put up. And of course couriers being the wonderful people they were, they don't feel for a moment that I'm profiting from their stories when it came out that I've got a book deal. Cause, um, someone read it in the bookseller, you know, you, you assume couriers are illiterate, but they actually read the bookseller. Um, so it spread like wildfire and everybody was coming up and congratulating me and everybody was just really, really pleased and proud of me and happy and, uh, I um realized I was being paranoid again,
0: <laughs> so you did it
1: yes, yes, and uh writing a book takes a really long time
0: <laughs> how long How long was it from start to finish? uh
1: it was about two years um but I feel like very little of that time was actually spent writing. You know how it is um mm. the time you actually spend working and mm, mm, the mm. time you you sort of claim to have spent doing it.
0: Yeah, yeah, procrastinating and panicking about it and thinking about it and planning it just perfect. Yeah, which I
1: think, you know, that all that all adds in to the thing. Mm. But one one thing that was really good with sorry, talking about writing process is probably quite boring, isn't it? But uh, the yeah. the one thing I find was great was um having having the three month break for the winter trip. And then I had another deadline right before the Transcon, which was not ideal in some ways, but was actually good because then I had, I got it off my chest and then had a total break and then came back to it fresh. So I'm going to do that with future books, I think, like scheduled trips in between drafts.
0: Oh, that sounds like heaven.
1: It is. It is. It's wonderful. <laughs>
0: So when you were writing it, did you have any other authors in mind about, you know, authors that you wanted it to be like or well, not be like in terms of I want it to be sound like them, but authors who had influenced you?
1: Hmm, um, that's actually an interesting question. I don't think I really did. Um, and I think I tried not to, I think a few writers have this thing about trying not to pollute their mind too much by hmm. reading very strong flavours whilst writing um so I didn't actually read as much as usual while I was writing it which I sort of regret um and now I'm making up for lost time which is lovely <laughs> but no I didn't I didn't have anyone particular in mind I would occasionally read a book and sort of start to feel just kind of quietly inspired and feel like oh the way she constructs her sentences is so good and I love the sort of the tone she's used I should write more like this so it's probably a few smaller influences but uh Nothing nothing particularly strong.
0: Who would, who would you love to be compared to? Like, if you could have your dream review and it says, oh, yeah, you know, this reminds me of, it has, uh, uh, you know, it echoes so and so and so and so.
1: Oh, oh God. I, I'd be really embarrassed to say, actually, I think. That's, that's,
0: that's funny. Um, let's see. I, um... I, I can tell you who I was reminded of, if you like, if that makes it easier. Oh, go on. I probably would have heard of them. Because I, I was thinking very much about Rebecca Solnit's Field Guide to Getting Lost when I was reading okay. it. I don't know if you've read that.
1: I have it on my desk at the moment. I'm holding it in my hand. <laughs> delivered yesterday. Oh my God, that's brilliant. <laughs> and I had—I haven't read it all, but uh, this is quite uncanny. So the day after I finished my winter ride this year, I was in a place called Port Townsend, which is a peninsula on the end of a peninsula, right on the end of the American continent near Seattle. And I found a wonderful bookshop and I was completely zonked. I just cycled through three months through the winter and I was barely conscious. And I spent a whole afternoon sitting in the chair in this bookshop reading A Field Guide to Getting Lost. Um, and I just flicked through it yesterday when I got it. I don't, I don't recognise much of it, but it made a really <laughs> huge impression on me. And there's some particular bits of it that um, just, you know, you know, there's some things you read and you just think I'll be coming back to this chapter mm. for the rest of my life. Yeah. And that ha, that is probably the highest compliment you could have paid me
0: <laughs> well I, I have to admit I have a big yen for psychogeography and um, also for you know walk I, but that I walking books are kind of the thing that I've've I've looking at but it, it kind of reminded me that that kind of interleaving of like the history and the, the 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 kind of psychogeographical elements and the different parts and the the way that it kind of strands a lot you know lot of different themes and stuff seem to spiral around in your book and kind of loop together or come together and, and anyway this that's the book that's my book <laughs> that I that, that it was that I thought of when I was reading your book thank
1: you I I don't think
0: anyone's going to top that <laughs> well you'll have to do that well I mean, that's another interesting thing I was going to ask you about because of course you're in the middle of a media media kind of uh promotion and is that weird I mean having you know, your cycling was very solitary and your writing was very solitary. Is it strange to now be in this world of media and questioning and
1: um it is, yeah. It is really strange. And I've I've come into it a little while ago because I've been doing talks and things about my trips and stuff like that. So I'm I'm sort of now I know roughly how it works. It's gonna kind of boot up a level, I think, in January. But it is weird. And it is weird people asking me all about myself and other people wanting to listen. And I mean, you sort of don't know where to go with it because you think, well, I can just, you know, lap it up and be like, yeah, I'm great. It's wonderful (laughs) what you want to hear about me, but I don't really, I don't have that in me and I wouldn't want to become that sort of twat. Um, (laughs) But you can't spend all your time saying, oh, no, 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 I'm nothing really. No, no, no. (laughs) So you have to kind of find find some somewhere in the middle. But I think um, what I do find really helps is that even though there's going to be a bit of a media blitz ultimately it's only like a few hours worth of interviews and I spend most of my time on my own on my bike still and that's how I think I I balance out all the oversharing because the bulk of my life is spent on my own and that's sort of how how I like it to be and I think that gives me energy for all the all the talk 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 stuff yeah
0: yeah 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 I was going to ask you actually since you've been writing and and going on your slowly rest of your life you said on your blog around the world trip (laughs) do you find yourself ever kind of like remembering things oh this would be good for a book has it changed the way that you're counting your recollections or as a blogger was that just you know just part of your brain process anyway
1: I think it was part of my brain process anyway so I've always thought in sentences even before I wrote them down and when I'm on the bike especially when I'm touring um one of the things I do with my brain to pass the time is just without even really meaning to, I'll find I'm turning sentences over in my head and kind of molding paragraphs and things. And sometimes that will turn into a blog post I write that evening. And sometimes it'll just sit there. And then six months later, the paragraph will show up somewhere else. So there's a lot of drafting is, is done as I go along. And I think as, as a writer, I've sort of evolved, um, So I used to just think about, oh, you know, that might make quite a nice short, funny blog post this evening. And now um, the blog posts I write are getting a little bit ridiculously long. (laughs) And I now do start to think in terms of, oh, that would make a nice book. Because it's not so much thinking about the idea of, I would like to write a book about this. It's more like, oh, I've got these five or six strands and themes that could kind of be platted together in roughly this formation if I did this and this. Mm. And oh, look, that looks more like a book than a blog post. (laughs) I think that's that's more the way it's working.
0: Interesting. And so, do you stop and take notes about this as your, you know, as, as, at the end of your? Th-
1: uh, no, I don't. I'm a terrible travel writer. I, I don't ever take notes. Um, and I, <laughs> it's terrible. I really, really should, and I keep trying and then just abandoning it. But I think because I I spend quite a lot of time, um, on my own on the bike, taking mental notes and then thinking oh that was a good sentence I'll think that through again or think no that's not quite right and I'll so I'll I'll memorize things a lot that way and there's a sort of an editing process as well you know you you see the thing you have the experience and then you sort of describe it to yourself and then that becomes part of the paragraph that's going on Mm
0: -hmm. and then
1: you know six weeks later it gets written down. Hmm.
0: Interesting. So I can't keep you all night. Obviously, I'd like to talk to you all night because I have a thousand questions. But um, getting back to the cycling side and the currying side in the book, I, I was, you know what interested me most was I was quite surprised. It took me to like the last third of the book, I think, before you started talking about traffic and nearly dying and awful riding, and awful cars hmm. and things like that. Was that a conscious choice? Because when I think of my riding in London, I think of, oh, my God, like I love it, but, but I hate it.
1: Um, it wasn't a conscious choice Um, I think uh, if you were to be uncharitable you could say I just balanced the book badly and uh, didn't think about writing about traffic until too late on but it could um, if you were to pretend that I had intended it that way you could say that it was until a bit later on that I realised how awful traffic is because earlier on I was just in the first flush of being head over heels in love with this job Mm. And, you know, the bad stuff happens and you just kind of gloss over it and you deal with it and it's fine. And it's only later on that it really starts to get to you. And that did actually happen with me. That's kind of why I stopped, because the the traffic and the road rage got worse as the years went on mm. and affected me more. And that's not that's not the way you'd expect at all. I would have thought I would have just, you know, eventually found ways of getting over it. But it got to me more and more and more and it was getting harder and harder to kind of flush it all out of my system Mm. and even now when I go back to London and ride there I I get angry people always do such awful things and I get angry and then I have to just ride along telling myself there's no point being angry you can't do anything about it be zen let it go and then something else happens. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah 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 um i i liked it to be honest i really liked it about the book i liked that it confounded my expectations you know that that i think i'd have got it's so much part of a cyclist's story about riding in any city you know the the, the people who try to kill me every day that I, I was really i really liked it but i hadn't noticed i'd missed it <laughs> until i got to it if that makes any sense
1: yeah yeah it does i think also i I tend to restrain myself really quite a lot from talking about that sort of thing because it's so easy as a London cyclist to spend all your time going on and on and on about road rage. And it's just, it makes me angry and frustrated and bored. And that's a really (laughs) toxic combination. (laughs) And if you're not careful, you know, you get, get together with some couriers in the pub after work, you can spend the whole evening just saying, oh, there's fucking driver. And he said this, and then this happened. And then, then he hit me and then this happened and then someone else. And I, and you just have to be, oh yeah, that's outrageous. And I'm just, I'm kind of fed up with it. (laughs) I, I try to avoid even getting into those conversations. Yeah. Um, that, they really they make me they put me on edge they don't make me happy
0: yeah 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 and that's that, that's interesting That that's very interesting and another question I wanted to ask you about actually was I was very interested in your balance of how you explain the geography of London because you know again one of my worries about the book was that it was going to be oh you know a lot of stuff about explaining how you get from I don't know Paddington to Soho or whatever Uh, and i found it really interesting because i i grew up in london so there's a lot of places that you're talking about that i can picture but equally there's a lot of places that i've no idea about but by the way you're talking about them i know what it means and i was wondering how you whether whether you consciously were balancing not just being an a to z with Mm. making it understandable for people who've never seen london
1: yeah I wasn't doing that particularly consciously but it was it was on my mind um worrying that I I would be either giving too much detail about places and kind of bogging the reader down a bit or just reeling off this list of plate of street names and people would glaze over and you know they they don't know Baker Street from Fleet Street and I think there's always I mean there's going to be a variation in the people who read the book some will be couriers and know London than I do and some will be my mum who doesn't know it at all um so for some readers there will be this kind of pleasant exoticism of uh oh and then I wrote down Holborn and they'll think oh I wonder what Holborn might be or it'll just be this kind of you know name that could be anywhere um and for other people the name Holborn you know they know exactly what it looks like and where the traffic lights are so I think anyone who reads the book is going to have their own um completely unique identification with all, all the geography in the book, as they do with London, really. Mm. You know, we've all we've all got our own our own map and the bits we know and the bits we don't. And for me, uh, East London still is a little bit Here Be Dragons. <laughs> once once I've got past uh, Mayor Street, I'm kind of lost. So for me, talking about various places in in East London, that for me would have this sort of vague, you know, somewhere else kind of thing. Whereas if you were talking, you know, if I was reading a novel set in South East London, for example, it would be I would know the streets turn by turn and I'd know if they got something wrong.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a bit like um, Bristol has a lot of things filmed in it these days, like Skins or something, and and it's like yes. that Bristolian complaint about, yeah, why did they go from there to there to there to there? That makes no sense, you know, in the film. Oh, how can they do that? How can they do that on Supernatural? How can they do that on Doctor Who? It's just rubbish, you know. Or Doctor Who being filmed in Cardiff, for example, becomes a very, yeah, becomes very personal to people who are Welsh, even though it's technically yes. London. Technically yeah. London. <laughs> so the book you've obviously you've written the book you've alluded to more books in the future yeah uh
1: let's um hmm, let's let's see about that i've i've got a couple in mind um but nothing firmly yet so i'm gonna there'll be a little bit more evolution i think the the next one i would like to write would be something about ultra distance racing because i think it's very interesting and there's a lot of interesting people in it and it's got you know it's got everything it's got blood it's got bikes it's got pain it's got roads that i believe that um so maybe maybe that we'll see see if anyone buys it or if i actually want to write it in the end and i've also got this thing that i when i was um going across asia i spent uh some time in pakistan and really liked it and i've been there before and i, I love the place and i want to go back there for a while because there's a lot to see and do and explore and um I'd like to take my fat bike and go up into the mountains and things. And I'd like to write a book as a result of that. But what sort of book that would be, um, would be, would, would need a lot of discussion, I think.
0: Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, how, how far around the world have you actually got now? I know I should have looked at your, you've got the amazing blog. I particularly loved the stuff about advice for other people who are thinking, other women who are thinking about ride you know, riding solo in, in foreign climes. But and it's a really fascinating blog, but how, where have you been? Can you just do a little crazy, a little, a little nutshell of where you've been in, in terms of how far around the world you've got and where you've got left to go.
1: <laughs> well, this should all come with the, the big sort of caveat, but there's no such thing as cycling around the world. because no- <laughs> so It's just like, you're going to do a few lines on a few continents and add it all up and say, you know, roughly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I've sort of, i don't know i'm almost a bit embarrassed by the whole cycling around the world thing now but you know let's let's say i'm still cycling around the world
0: Let, let's let's just say it's let's just say we all understand that it's a slightly tongue-in-cheek description <laughs> completely
1: the <ignored, laughs> um premise but anyway uh so i started off uh where i am right now in mid-wales um and rode through the uk uh across europe uh through the balkans uh into turkey across turkey iran Pakistan, over the Karakoram Highway to China, across China, fucking awful, so big, so hot, so dirty. Oh, I actually had a lovely time as well, but it was really hard work. And then uh, across to Korea, uh, did South Korea, and then did the length of Japan, and then came home. And then, um, oh, I I, I went to Iceland, but that doesn't really fit in anywhere yet. So then uh, the more recent bit was this, winter just gone where I went from Anchorage to Seattle um in the cold why <laughs> because you could you know you um I've I've already done I've done couriering and I've done touring I had to do something a bit more um <laughs> you know it's all about the harder harder drugs
0: <laughs> gateway drug yeah so yeah. you know one day someone gives you a bike and you ride it without stabilizers the next minute you're heading <laughs> across Alaska in the winter yeah
1: so that was um that was my most recent chunk and then what I'm hoping next summer so I'm I'm supporting a friend in RAM the race across America Mm -hmm. and if I have time I'd like to fly into Seattle and ride down the U.S. west coast to get to the start of that which will also be good training for me and that will be the next chunk and then at some point I'll make it to Central America etc etc
0: wow ending up in Patagonia (laughs)
1: yeah well I've been wanting to get there for years and it's still a long way off but I keep getting distracted by stuff
0: (laughs) yeah and also I guess there's a little thing about needing to make money
1: yeah that is also quite useful I see I seem to be just about getting by at the moment but um I have I've been looking at my calendar for this year and thinking I I do need to make sure I'm not on the bike absolutely all the time because I might run out of cash (laughs)
0: Excellent. And you've, of course, got on your blog lots of advice for people. So if people are looking at wanting to do it themselves, you've got a lot of resources to help them, haven't you?
1: I've done about a lot, but there's, there's a few pages with uh, with um, some facetious Q&As and some serious ones that will actually give you useful information. And, I mean, I'm all, I'm always happy to respond to emails because it's a great way of procrastinating. <laughs> so if anyone has important questions about what what tyres to take, A 2000 word email
0: (laughs) excellent well good luck with it so if people want to buy your book it's called what goes around by you Emily Chappell and it's published by Faber and Faber and the Guardian and when's it out? 7th of January January. So, I, mean, I have got a free copy for any listener who wants one you can go to my blog prowomenscycling.com and I'll see how to how to get how to see if you can win that free copy but I think everyone should buy it anyway you can pre-order it right now can't you
1: you can you can pre-order it on Amazon or probably also through your local independent bookshop <laughs> and um I I strongly encourage you to buy it.
0: I strongly encourage. You. I really enjoyed it. I wasn't sure if I would, and I loved it. i um, genuinely. And if people want to fo- follow your adventures around the world, they can find you on the interwebs. your are Emily Chapel, two P's, E L L at the end.com dot com. And where, where else can they find you?
1: Um, that's that's about it, really. I'm here in Wales. But- <laughs> um and i'm doing i'm doing various events around the country for the book which will basically be probably me standing in a bookshop talking and then signing um and i will be in the states this summer i'll be riding across europe very fast August. um don't get in my way please and um i'll be in london more than i would like to be over the next year
0: excellent and your adventures are on twitter it's got. I, I really like this modern modern book um, thing of having like the social media in the back. It says you're at Emily Chapel. Indeed, I am. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, everyone. Read this book. I really recommend it. I do. It's great. <laughs> and thank you for your time and good luck.
1: Thanks very much. Good talking to you.